0: Welcome to What's the Point with Arthur Newspaper. I'm Brazil Gaffney Knox.
1: And I'm Nick Taylor. We have a super exciting episode planned for you all this week. We have a pretty hefty COVID update for you. We have uh, some information about the lands plan uh, and all the usual fun stuff. The haikus about the weather, the horoscopes, etc.,
0: And we have more up-to-date information for you because we're recording on Thursday. Because guess what tragedy has befallen us?
1: What tragedy?
0: Some mischievous uh, electronics demon has entered our TASCAM and erased the file from earlier on Tuesday. We usually record on Tuesday mornings and... Yeah, here we are Thursday morning, re-recording an hour of audio.
1: Imagine my dismay at uploading the file and it being corrupt. Corrupted. Like our government. Speaking More on of that which, later.
0: <laughs> Speaking of which.
1: May as well talk about it right now. This talk about it. This is a hot story. Wow. Um, so this past week, in our virtual House of Commons, there was a vote about a wealth tax, um, a tax on the one percent. And as I'm sure you all know, you know, votes in Canadian Parliament are whipped. And so the, all the liberals and conservatives were voting against the wealth tax, including our MP, Maryam Munsef. After she voted against it, uh, she accidentally left her Zoom mic on. Very unfortunate for her because she ended up interrupting Jody Wilson Raybould's vote on the motion uh, to say, What do I make? Twenty two dollars uh, seemingly, like, asking someone in the room with her if, like, how much she made. Maybe she was trying to figure out if the wealth tax applied to her. I don't know. It seems like a very f- unfortunate blunder. She was caught bragging about how she makes five times the median income of her constituents. That's bad Mary, news baby
0: send us a shooting star emoji if you want us to call her
1: yeah we want to call her next week
0: we make no promises though we need 15 shooting stars to call her 50 100
1: Hundred thousand population need... <laughs> of peterborough
0: we need a hundred percent of our online cons- constituents <laughs> to send us a shooting star for us to call mary monceph She has had blunders recently. Uh, One of our staff writers is working on a piece about um, the town hall run by Future Majority that happened recently. And, you know, Future Majority is a really cool organization. Their entire purpose is to mobilize the youth vote. And so that means in non-voting times, it's, it's getting students and young people aware and rallying around the most important issues for our age demographic and for the future. Uh, they're really cool and like they're very grassroots like the way they organize is by sending people into places and then getting them to kind of organize communities of volunteers. Um, it, it's a super interesting organization. I, I've known a few people who work there but Recently, yeah, they did this town hall last week, and it just seems to have gone horribly wrong. Uh, Mary Monsef and uh, Mayor Diane Therrien were were present, Um, and yeah, you should read more about it in Katie's article, but uh, horribly wrong is me editorializing about what I heard. I would love to hear her more balanced take as a reporter covering the event, so keep your eyes peeled for that. But yeah, I'm excited to get into this episode. We've got some stuff going on. Um, We want to just note at the beginning of the show that we had our AGM on the weekend. uh, So it's been a few days now. It's not as fresh as it was when we first recorded this, but we're still really happy that we successfully governed this organization. General meetings are really important for -for not-for-profit governance because um, they give Membership, the opportunity to say their piece and to participate in uh, the demo- the democratic and cooperative nature of s- this student-run paper. So it was nice. It was over Zoom, which kind of was less nice, but it was it was pretty and beautiful. And we had a big announcement.
1: We launched our new website that was designed by Danny Taro, uh, local. Rapper, business manager extraordinaire. Um,
0: he does not yet rap on the website, but he could. <laughs> and you should also send him uh, comet emojis if you want him to rap on the website.
1: <laughs> wow, you are you becoming an emoji encyclopedia.
0: Thank you. I spend a lot of time. There, there are a lot of them. Like, how do you get? How do you get a new one? Like, why are there people meditating?
1: Dude, you have to, like, lobby 12 different governments to get an emoji designed, I swear.
0: We should do it. I don't know what hill I'm going to die on, but it will probably be lobbying for an emoji.
1: Check out our website. uh, Take a look. explore, Explore the full extent of it. You can now donate to Arthur, which, of course, we recommend doing. Uh, of course (laughs) you can advertise with arthur perhaps you own a local business and you want people especially students to
0: see your local business yeah as though they're walking down the street they're walking around their little internet cave and they see arthur and they see your business
1: the word i was looking for was patronize but that is not really... <laughs> that is a
0: terrible word
1: that's not what i meant um you know and... what
0: we should start we should like take back because you know how like everyone is calling people consumers now and this gets a whole thing about language we have got to bring back patron patron ha- is gone it's gone to the birds honestly i haven't heard people talk about patrons in a while i want to bring patron back into the lexicon
1: she's bringing it back um but yeah we-
0: that's my hill that's the hill
1: amazing you can also do puzzles on our website you can interact with your friends and family while doing those puzzles you can go back and forth puzzles. it can be a game crosswords
0: and sudoku's not like puzzles other kinds of puzzles mm-hmm. but crosswords and sudoku's best kind of puzzle
1: mm-hmm. um and those are made by danny Taro himself man of many talents many um and you can find all of our podcasts in one place as well as zines print material etc anyways check out the website peruse it to its full extent and enjoy
0: that's our plug i will also say if you want a hot arthur summer podcast We can send it to you, but it cannot be available publicly for reasons we will not disclose. Nick, please tell me a haiku about the weather.
1: Cold, cold, cold. Cold 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 Cold, cold, cold.
0: cold. cold. I am literally crying <laughs>
1: <laughs> Moved to tears by the poeticism of winter.
0: Now it's part of our show where we talk about headlines
1: Breaking news
0: Breaking
1: news Here's a headline for you also, yeah, we should probably remind our listeners that uh, these headlines are these headlines are indeed satire. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not meant to be interpreted seriously. And on that note, TCSA spends entire five million dollar budget on YouTubers.
0: And also on that note, archaeological study suggests woman had the hiccups for sixty nine years.
1: Albertans couldn't figure out the COVID-19 tracing app. It was used only 19 times.
0: Okay, the 19 times part is real, but I'm pretty sure they knew how to use it. They just chose not to.
1: Yeah, I think Albertans are becoming the Canadians that we pick on.
0: Mm, No, Ontarians still are. We're just not in on the joke because we live here. Everyone bleeping hates ontarians
1: well can't blame them originally we recorded this on covid19's birthday what
0: yeah and obviously we should be celebrating this tragedy um no yeah we're not celebrating but apparently november 17th is the first day that the first case was of covid in humans was noted i don't know if that's true that was a tweet i read but this is a satire section so leave me alone
1: i think twitter is you know the the greatest purveyor of factual information in our modern era so
0: yeah arthur.com that's what our website is called right it should just become a twitter it should become a list of tweets
1: that is not what our website is (laughs) dot trentarthur.ca we should have said that we were telling people we have a new website but they're probably listening to the podcast go to, to arthur.com yeah go there Let's see, what's, see what's there <laughs> let us know send us a carrier pigeon when you find out So where is she she's hung over from her first birthday celebration still she went on a bender she went on a bender she's been on a bender it was sloppy she's been on a very sloppy bender for far too long but
0: her nemesis is here maybe ish with caveat
1: here in a, an abstract sense
0: a vaccine has been making headlines this week uh, Pfizer, BioNTech, and Fusun Pharma have developed a vaccine that has had 90% success in a uh, preliminary stage three trial. So it still hasn't gone to peer review yet. Um, and there are a few more steps before it goes to market. Also, um, in the States, at least, has to go through the FDA. Um, and there are various regulatory agencies that would have to go through. But 90% success rates, excellent rates.
1: Another vaccine made by Moderna and NIAID has a 95% success rate. Although, according to people in the know about public health, that 5% discrepancy doesn't really make a huge difference.
0: Yeah, I guess not with trials at this stage. I mean, both of those rates look really good, and we just need to see what's going to happen in the next few Uh, weeks months where it's going through different stages of trial
1: yeah and the word on the street and when i say the street i mean in the economist is (laughs) and on twitter (laughs) let's be real you mean the word on twitter yeah sure uh is that this vaccine is going to be dispersed in a very inequitable way um Canada is being called out a little bit for participating in that inequity. Um, You know, a lot of people are highlighting concerns that the vaccine is going to be slow to make it to, you know, more developing countries in the global south. Tell me more about that, Braz.
0: So a lot of countries um, countries that have funds to throw around have been buying up shares in various uh, vaccines that are in preliminary trials. So this means a bunch of many, many nations had shares in the Pfizer vaccine that is being developed and the Moderna vaccine as well. Um, but basically they're just making bets on various vaccines that are eventually going to potentially go to market if they're successful. So, um, one mechanism that has been used recently globally is called COVAX. And that is basically an alliance of, uh, nations, um, supported by Gavi, the coalition for epidemic preparedness innovations, as well as the world health organization. Um, it, it's an organization of nations that is um, working to equitably distribute the vaccine. So instead of countries buying shares um, themselves, they pool their money together under COVAX and buy shares as a coalition. Um, so this, in effect, helps them spread out their chances over throughout the market of like what's on the table for being developed. Um, and then makes sure that whichever vaccine does come to market and does become um, successful is going to be shared equitably through and distributed by the shares that COVAX has bought of that vaccine. Um, The problem is that many countries are still spending a lot of money buying outside of the COVAX coalition. In fact, COVAX has, you know, it, like if, When you look at graphs, and we'll link to a few um, graphs that are being spread around right now, COVAX is kind of like in the middle of those graphs um, as to how many shares they've purchased already. So what this means is that when vac- the vaccines do end up going to market, COVAX is going to have some of them and they're going to have some vaccines to distribute to uh, countries in the global south, countries that don't have as much money to throw around into this horse race, Um, but they're not going to have enough and it's not going to be equitably distributed. Uh, One study has noted that models currently predict that there won't won't be enough vaccine to cover the whole world's population until 2024. So we're really looking at a shortage. And so even though this international coalition exists and there are countries working towards equitable distribution, we don't have enough production right now we don't have enough capacity right now. And so we're looking at, we're pretty, a model of inequality that, yeah, is, yeah, almost certain. And so why Canada has been making headlines is because Canada has been buying up um, a lot of vaccines compared to population. So there are certain graphs that um, look at vaccine uh, shares purchased per capita. And it looks like Canada has bought Uh, uh, enough to vaccinate the population five times over. And so even though all of these won't go to market, what it shows is that Canada has invested a lot of money in buying up vaccines, which in effect uh, limits other countries from (laughs) accessing those vaccines. Uh, And it makes Canada look greedy. And that's kind of what's going on on our headlines and on the twitterverse right now is just canada being kind of called out for this um investment in vaccines
1: Hmm. yeah i think you know a lot of a lot of people have been kind of raising concerns about this from the beginning of the pandemic they've been you know noting that whatever happens just given you know the great economic disparity we have in our world that the vaccine and you know its distribution is going to keep with that inequality Hard um to imagine it won't yeah and it's also i don't know i think something that's going to be really interesting to keep an eye on moving forward is looking at whether well the extent to which canada you know, takes their shares in these vaccines, um, and, you know, uses it, uh, uses the vax like their quantities to contribute to aid, uh, for the global South and countries that are experiencing, you know, the pandemic <coughs> disproportionate to others, um,
0: like aid to the United States, for instance?
1: <laughs> They're going to need it. Yeah. It's just interesting because I think a lot of what ends up happening... Well, you know, to oversimplify the development industry would be to say that it's just all these wealthy nations pretending to solve the problems that they've created. <laughs> and I think that, that, that this could end up being an example of that. You know, Canada is participating in this inequity by buying up all these vaccines later they're going to present themselves as the savior as they you know distribute it
0: when the whole idea of uh, an equitable distribution coalition um would preempt that issue and if canada had just spent all their money in the coalition then Mm -hmm. it would be a different story
1: yeah but there's no there's no hero there there's no hero in that story
0: No, and it really protects Canada a lot more if they just buy shares now. So we'll share some of those graphs with you in the links um, at the bottom of the show notes. They're just really interesting to look at. And uh, there's a lot of data to poke around um, if you want to kind of like understand this issue from a numbers perspective. But yeah, speaking of numbers.
1: We are in our second wave, as you all know. Ontario had 1,487 new COVID cases as of Monday. More locally, uh, as of today, Thursday, November uh, 19th, Peterborough has 24 active cases. There is an institutional outbreak ongoing at Fairhaven Long-Term Care. Um, As of earlier this week, there were 14 residents in isolation, And uh, six cases had been reported on the 14th, uh, and two had been reported on the 15th.
0: Yeah, so that's just to say that that outbreak was kind of peaking around this weekend. Um, And yeah, Peterborough was definitely experiencing a little bit of an uptick, um, so much so that Dr. Salvatera has said she'll know, well, we'll know by Monday whether or not we'll be placed under uh, yellow zone precautions and, um, well, yeah, whether Peterborough will be seen as a higher-risk area, which we haven't been for some time. Ever?
1: Well... I think that um it might be hard to say because I think that these specific like color categories are something that were developed after you know we would have been the initial, in. yeah. yeah,
0: I mean, it's just to say that Peterborough has been like extremely safe for the past few months, mm-hmm. and yeah,
1: we hadn't broken ten cases for like months until last week or the week before, so yeah, yeah, we've been very lucky. Um, especially just given, you know, like all, like the ways in which we as a county, as a community are more vulnerable because, you know, we like something like 20% of the population is over 65. Um, so we've been lucky to have, you know, very few deaths and very few cases, uh, you know, in juxtaposition to the GTA. For (laughs) example.
0: So another thing that has been coming up recently um, in headlines in Peterborough has been the impact of COVID on homelessness and Peterborough's ever-increasing affordable housing crisis. Um, For instance, Global News reported um, a video that noted the Housing is Fundamental report released by the United Way. Um, And they were just talking about uh, the the crisis that we are currently experiencing in Peterborough and the way that COVID has exacerbated it. Um, So one of our staff writers last week published a piece that is a summary of the Housing is Fundamental report produced by the United Way for 2020. Uh, You can check that out on our website. Um, It's a really great look into this amazing document. And We just think it's really important to highlight some of these numbers, especially um, now that the city budget is in the approval process to be approved um, about mid-December. It's just really important for people to kind of like be aware of what what housing really is, because people talk about the housing crisis a lot. But this report just lays it really, really bare. So, for instance, rents have increased by 21.7% in the 10-year period between 2005 and 2015. Now, to affordably rent a two-bedroom in Peterborough, a renter would have to make $22.65 an hour working full-time hours. I don't know a lot of people that make that kind of money, and that is not a great stat to hear. Another way to interpret that data is to say that uh, to earn, um, if if you worked at the minimum wage, the Ontario minimum wage, then you would have to work sixty point seven hours a week to make the kind of money you would need to affordably rent a two bedroom. And and affordable renting um, just means that you are putting thirty or less percent of your salary into uh, rent. That and that's just what's kind of deemed across the board as affordability, Uh, because you really shouldn't be spending more than that on rent to have a safe and secure um, livelihood.
1: Yeah, and you shouldn't have to work 60 hours a week. No one should ever work 60 hours a week. Uh, The housing report also states, quote, it has become increasingly obvious that the housing needs of all people cannot be attained through the private housing market. If Canada is serious about regarding housing as a human right, it must intervene to ensure low-income households are not financially crippled with housing cost or displaced from housing altogether.
0: To kind of hone in on the crisis at hand, um, this year is the first year um, that no household earning thirty thousand dollars annually can rent any type of apartment affordably in Peterborough. There are just under ten thousand households that are that earn less than thirty thousand dollars annually before tax meaning that that group cannot rent any type of apartment affordably in Peterborough. I think that is a really important stat to understand um, coming from this report.
1: Yeah, I think that that really goes to show, you know, how unaffordable the local housing market is and how far we are into this process of gentrification that, you know, is very much sweeping the city. Um, you know, like who ha- is being pushed to the periphery, and who is, you know, outright unable to afford to live here, you know, that, (laughs) that's really concerning. Um, The the notion that there's any, there's anyone who can't afford to live here, let alone 9,735 households.
0: Yeah, and COVID has shone like a very bright light on these inequities and on this crisis. And that's something that the report details at the very end, um, where Don Barry Merriam talks about how generations um, will understand this time um, as deeply impacting uh, work culture, the healthcare system, and the economy, as well as all of our physical health. It'll also be a time um, where... You know, our societies can show resilience, innovation, and compassion. Um, But to do this, uh, three key changes are noted um, in light of COVID um, at the end of this housing report. The first is the need for governments to put in place a universal basic income. Uh, The second is the need to build new support systems for the homeless, people experiencing homelessness, um, and, and they emphasize the need for new systems because the support systems have been overrun during this time. And third, it is the overhaul of the long-term care system um, and asking for the governments to ensure adequate staffing, appropriate compensation for all support workers, and appropriate physical plants that don't include multiple bedrooms, but that do include um, functional air conditioning, um, which I suppose relates to ventilation as well. Um, Just the need for the improvement of these very basic systems that will create the foundation for um, equity in our societies.
1: You know, and it's really good to see the United Way taking aim at privatization in this way, Um, whether they're talking about housing broadly or, you know, the long-term care system Um, I think it's really important to highlight the ways in which privatization have, has really, you know, decimated a lot of these industries and, and, um, the benefits that everyday people can get out of them, you know, like privatization has really inhibited that, that capacity. So It's good to see an organization that's, you know, quite, like, mainstream, like the United Way, taking issue with that in a very public way, in a way that is, you know, supported by a lot of, you know, very legible uh, stats, graphics, all that great info. um, we'll definitely include a link to the report and a link to Uh, The summary of the report that Irene did uh, in the description below
0: So we have had quite the week or two weeks in Peterborough for COVID Uh, We had one case reported at Fleming and one case reported at Trent um, so the Fleming case of COVID was uh, reported in, by Global News. As well, uh, we actually first learned about this on Reddit because a Fleming college student posted an email uh, that they'd received from the Fleming administration. They posted it publicly to the uh, Peterborough <laughs> Reddit page. So that was cool because we were able to learn about that pretty quickly. Um, but here's a little, do you want to read a little excerpt from the email?
1: Yes. On November 15th, Fleming College became aware that a Fleming College student studying in the B-Wing area of the Sutherland campus in Peterborough has tested positive for COVID-19. The student last visited the campus on November 9th. They left the campus at the time that symptoms presented and have been self-isolating since. The student does not live on campus. Fleming College has assisted Peterborough Public Health with contact tracing, and anyone deemed to be at elevated risk will be contacted directly by the health unit and provided guidance on next steps. Peterborough Public Health considers this situation to be a low risk for exposure.
0: Yeah, so that seems like it came directly from the Fleming administration, though we don't have evidence to back that up it just appeared to be an email from fleming that was posted publicly um, but that information has been confirmed um on various other sites it does seem to be low risk and so in terms of the case at trent uh we learned about this case through the trent website there was a post on there um news they have like a news feed section and that's where we've learned about all of uh the covid cases that have happened well there have been two um that are connected to trent um but yeah the trent student body to my knowledge has not yet received an email about it um granted this is like a, a low risk case um what we know is that the student was on campus on friday november 13th and that they did Uh, didn't make any note of like community spread or anything connected to this case and that anyone who is relevant uh, to this contact like anyone who had interactions um, would have already been made aware but we we don't know a lot about this case and um, all we know is from this news release that wasn't sent to students.
1: Mm-hmm. And, you know, even just comparing the information from Fleming and the information from Trent, you know, there there's definitely some key differences. Fleming is, you know, noticeably more transparent about the location that the student was in. Um, and it also seems as though this was sent to students. Um, whereas with Trent, uh, you know, they to their FAQ page, their Uh, COVID response page. But we have identified, you know, some discontent among students about how the university is sharing this information. Um, You know, it doesn't, it's not widely accessible. You know, the university at the very least is not meeting students where they're at. Students are on Twitter and Instagram. And if the university even just like tweeted a little blurb or you know, posted it to their Instagram story, they would probably reach a lot more students than they are now.
0: Yeah. And we totally understand, like, these are both low risk cases. They're not cause for concern. People don't need to be necessarily changing their habits, um, so long as they're being safe. Uh, we don't want to spark alarm. But, you, you can you can still give information without sparking alarm and i think that's the line that fleming walked with their communication it's just something we're not seeing from trend and it's it's just a bit disappointing i think um and we should ask for more
1: Okay, so this next segment is on something that Brazil and I have been quite focused on for a while now, and that is the Trent Lands Plan.
0: Uh, Some of you may know about the ongoing conversation surrounding the Trent Lands and Nature Areas Plan, which has been released in draft to the community for review until January 4th, Um, and what we're going to do today is just kind of warm you all up to what the Lance Plan is, what it does, and why it's important. Um, now that we have the Lance Plan Town Hall behind us, it was last night, Wednesday night at 4, we can tell you a little bit more about what kind of feedback we witnessed and why that's relevant to perhaps your understanding of the lands plan and like how you can move forward. Um, if you want to interact with this issue more.
1: Mm -hmm. So the lands plan, you know, in broad strokes, it really just outlines what the development of the campus will look like over the next few decades. This seems to be kind of a routine thing that Trent does every so often
0: but yeah it's an ongoing project for the university i have heard um from people who've been around a bit longer that you know the university has just kind of like expanded in random directions and so th- th- there is like very much like a justified cause for like let's plan out where we're next going to build where the next saski college is going to be um not sorry not that there's going to be a saski college but that like that scale of development where really the landscape of what trent is is changing. Um, there, it, there should be a plan.
1: Mm-hmm. And the plan also outlines this more kind of abstract aspect of, yeah, outlining the values that will inform the plan, They will inform the future direction the trend goes in, um, and having, you know, a community conversation about what those values are.
0: Yeah, and... So why that kind of ties into like why these things matter? Well, for one, it's the future of the place um, you're going to live and learn in. Um, it'll determine the future of student experiences uh, at Trent. so how people will interact with this institution, what this institution will look like as a place to live and learn.
1: It also you know balances delicately between being, so high level that it doesn't specify anything super specific uh, but at the same time it's a document that serves to justify any and all development decisions that will take place so this is a really critical moment um, because the decisions that are made over the next few months are going to you know impact decisions that are made over the next few decades
0: Mm-hmm. And it's a time also that the university has committed in a lot of ways to talking to the community. And so it's our prerogative and our responsibility to talk back and to be heard.
1: And something that we really took note of at the town hall last night was that the, un- the university has come under fire a great deal uh, in the past few years, even
0: decades, I think, since the Trent 8 and all that.
1: Yeah, Um, for their lack of, you know, authentic community consultation. The university does not exist in a vacuum. You know, it really has an impact on the city that's not just economic, but also environmental. And I think that this consultation process, in its most ideal form, can, you know, bridge the gap between town and gown um and it's good to see that the university you know is taking that seriously uh the community has made clear to the university that we want a seat at the table um and that the university has to honor that um also important to note that the university has gone to great lengths to um incorporate indigenous traditional knowledge in the plan Um, you know, they have they've hired an Indigenous consulting firm. Um and they've been working, you know, quite closely with um Curve Lake First Nation, Hiawatha First Nation, and the Trent Elders Council. So I think, you know, that really comes out of everything that happened with um the wetlands development. The arena development, how the community was exposing some of the incongruencies with Trent's, you know, image as being um, a, you know, leader in Indigenous studies in Canada, um, but how, you know, maybe there are some contradictions in how they're approaching other aspects of institutional growth.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, the wetlands um, issue, the arena that was proposed to be built on wetlands, uh, is a really great stepping stone, I think, into what the problems are that we can parse out from this lands plan and where the the sites of controversy are. Um, yeah, as we mentioned, it's really clear that this plan aims to be Um, driven by ecological and reconciliatory values um, in the sense that, yeah, the firms they've hired are very focused, um, one, on indigenous knowledge incorporation of indigenous knowledge and consultation into these processes, and then also um, environmental assessment firms, um, ecological design firms. And so in any case, it's when reading through these documents that we will um, attach... It's hard to see where the sites of controversy are um, because the PR, yeah, and I think it's not controversial to say the PR is very strong, very successful.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the university has hired a very large corporation, a very successful corporation that has experience, you know, doing massive projects uh, to lead this phase of consultation Um, so, and that is demonstrated in, you know, the communication strategy. Um, it is extremely well done. And I, it almost pains me to say that, but like the PR on this plan is just incredible in a lot of ways. Um, in, in the sense that it's, it's hard to, you know, wade through, um, it's hard to parse what's, you know, the university's language and what might be a more objective representation of information.
0: Yeah. So the big site of controversy um, that has come up throughout this process has been the proposed moves of several gardens and um, agricultural projects to uh, the Trent nature areas. Um, so, yeah, this is a big topic. It's one I've been deeply involved in um, because I've been one of the voices representing the we, what we call the growers groups, which is just a coalition of agricultural projects um, that have been traditionally run by students. Um, and, yeah, we've been involved in advocating for ourselves, advocating for spaces, um, and advocating to be really, like, interlaced into this plan as the plan has intended to do in their kind of, like, statement of values. Um, We've kind of, like, yeah, been involved in this project of, like, holding them accountable to those values and to those intentions, and honestly, it has been, it's been really a long and arduous process, but it's been relatively successful. Like, I think the way that the community has um, rallied around these farming projects, the Trent Vegetable Garden, especially, um, and its proposed displacement has been really positive. Um, And so that's a big site of controversy. Um, I think from a few levels, like you can see it from the level of the Trent Nature Areas being compromised as a a site of conservation um, by the incorporation of agriculture. Um, You know, you can say all you want about regenerative agriculture, but there are definitely people who are more preservationist and wouldn't w- don't want to see um, agriculture in sites that are uh, supposed to be nature areas preserved, um, pristine, if you will. <laughs> um, and then also the gar- Yeah, you can see it from the other perspective, which is also the the gardens perhaps um, intention to be displaced um the changes that will happen because of that um their consolidation as well the soil this the loss of 15 years of soil that has been um yeah regenerated through agriculture um so yeah so there's a lot there in that issue and we hope to cover that more fully if you have any questions please don't hesitate to reach out we have a lot of knowledge um on this issue, and we would love to share more specific details if you have any questions. Um, so what's another side of controversy?
1: Well, something that came up a lot in last night's town hall was that um, the plan outlines uh, the potential for uh, a senior's village um, to be constructed on East Bank, um, and you know, that, it was really interesting to see that, uh, emerge, you know, kind of at the forefront of conversation last night, um, and for the community to respond in that way, um, because the university has noted on their website that they are in negotiations with a long-term care provider, um, to get this project moving forward, um, and, it's coming at a really interesting time, you know, with the COVID-19 pandemic Um, we've really seen, you know, the ugly underbelly of long-term care in Ontario and in Canada even more widely. Um, And so it's really interesting uh, that the university, you know, is seeking a public-private partnership, um, this specific kind of public-private partnership at this moment in time, um, just as you know, there are grave ethical concerns about the privatization of long-term care, and you know, I just wonder if that is on the university's radar, um, and if it's changed you know, how they're approaching that negotiations process.
0: Yeah, another side of controversy, or just at least um, critique, can be the consultation process. Um, We know that there have been multiple delays in um, specifically uh, between phase one and phase two of this project. Um, We don't know why this is, but we do know that Trent changed their leads, um, their consulting leads, Uh, So the company that is now running um, their project, SVN is the name of that company, um, wasn't always the lead on these projects. So there was some kind of delay in the middle of those projects. Um, And, yeah, we want to know how this might have changed uh, public engagement, how this might have changed some of the direction of the projects and how this reflects the values of the institution and what the intentions behind this plan really are, and that's something yeah we do want to talk about is just like how deeply rooted development is in this plan mm-hmm. um, even even with the incorporation of all these values and um, kind of like laying out an ethic for um, progress, it's still about developing the land.
1: yeah, the ethic is development,
0: yeah. <laughs> um as well um you know we we do have some con some questions about um the indigenous consultation um we know that a firm nibising uh consultants
1: consulting
0: consulting um run by bob Goulet, has been um working on this file for several years um But we want to know more about how indigenous voices have been incorporated into this plan and yeah at at this time we don't we don't have all the information um but we do want to hear from people who are who maybe were consulted um who were not people who have commentary on this um because we just don't know enough to know um the effectiveness of i think that that indigenous consultation
1: Well, yeah, just whether the university has done right by uh, their indigenous stakeholders. Um, I think that, you know, with the wetlands slash arena development, we saw that um, the university in some ways had not done right by indigenous stakeholders. And so um, I think that that is something that we really need to keep a close eye on with this, you know, huge consultation project that the university is engaged in. Um, Yeah, it's just, it's just an important question for us to be asking. Um,
0: So, and what we're asking from our community is just for people to continue to support this issue as a live issue um, with the community. So that can be done in a variety of ways. That can be done by just um, on social media, you know, like we're producing information. There are some other people in the community who are working on advocacy around the lands plan. So finding them and um, promoting their voices as well. Um, we would love to hear from people who have opinions on this Um we are open to letters to the editor. Those can be, you know, short um, pieces of opinion that folks might have. Um, yeah, we, we just genuinely want to make sure that this continues to be active in the public sphere. We want people to be talking about this publicly.
1: And, you know, we also encourage you all to go to the Trump website and fill out their online forum. You can do so until January 4th. Um, you know the university all things considered is listening
0: yeah they said that they have received over 130 comments in that portal so far um that's comments and questions so if you have questions they will generally filter those into their faq page so that's a great place to look to go see if your questions have been answered adequately um if you have follow-ups uh you can go there and just see what has already been asked as well. I think comments um, are going to be incorporated into a document that will be released uh, after the board of governors meeting. So probably um, early 2021. Um, And yeah, I'm really excited to see that to understand kind of the lay of the land, people's concerns and what really came up through this consultation process, because I think it's a really important uh, vehicle for like, the, the where the community is at um, with Trent and um, what our values are right now.
1: Mm-hmm. And we'll be posting all those links in the description below for you to follow up with. Read the plan, take the time.
0: Yeah. Read the plan. Um, at the least communicate through that portal with Trent and send them a comment or a question. At the most send us something to publish so that we can keep this conversation alive in our community um yeah because we all need to be talking about this there are rarely times that we can be engaged that the university allows us in a very public way to be engaged and we just yeah we totally have to take them up on it and show up for these conversations
1: Mm -hmm.
0: or they'll stop having them
1: yeah We know the university is not a democracy, but sometimes they like to pretend that they are. And when they do, we have to take advantage of it.
0: Astro- astrological starscape what are stars saying to you Nick
1: who is she we need a name for her
0: she is Ceres' illegitimate daughter
1: these horoscopes as always are brought to you by at poet astrologers on twitter and these ones are for the week of November 15th Aries Now comes the real part. It's not as difficult as you think, but it will definitely require effort. Is there someone who longs to talk to you about it and help you? Yes, absolutely. A few people.
0: Taurus. In the midst of everything, you will dream of a table set with pink cakes. Is this a moment that has happened before? No, but it will keep replaying for a long time. Read a good story.
1: Gemini. It's often your role to give the truth, even when it's not comforting. But as much as you can do that is as much as you will express your love. Maybe what is true is that you do love deeply. Don't hold back. Let them know.
0: Cancer. Someone is longing for you again. You might not even think of them at all, but they think of you completely. Instead, you will get many messages that you will have to decipher but you know that you think this is the fun part of life.
1: Leo, something you have just begun to build is gaining momentum. This is exactly where you need to be. Plant everything strong in the wordless ocean. Call when you can and call often.
0: Virgo, so much strength extends beyond the day and the night too. You have a far-reaching ability to be this strong, some sweetness too, like real love and kisses, some blankets and a new beginning full of force.
1: Libra, good luck and good presents will come to you readily. What's after that is a place where the mind can go. You will focus on magic and love. Somewhere in the umbrella, you will find the coin.
0: Scorpio, it's still time to celebrate, but you will be more focused on working. Listen to the friends around you, who want to rejoice in you. Many people worship you, and rightfully so. In the middle of the party, you will go to the beach with only your thoughts.
1: Sagittarius, you are getting even more focused on the intricacies of it all. That means you are getting closer to an understanding. What's blue in repeating? That is your answer.
0: Capricorn. This is the time to crystallize so many moments together. But this isn't just a photo album. These are the moving moments that you will cherish now and later. Never, ever forget what you
1: really want. Aquarius, you are finding that time is only as open as you let it be. Now might be the time to close the clock. And once you do, go out and see what ideas brought in. There is a person from a few years ago who can help you stop time
0: and Pisces. A soft and subtle air rises in little pockets of time. Meanwhile, you are trying to get to the next thing. Stay here if you want to. In the pink bed, there are so many songs left to sing.
1: And those are your horoscopes for this week, folks. Thank you so much to Astrologers on Twitter for your divinations.
0: And so that's basically the show for today uh thank you for listening
1: we did it maybe we should record this episode a third time just for kicks
0: i would love to do you want to do it on sunday morning 9 a.m
1: can't wait uh we just want to remind you to write us a letter it can be a love letter it can be the opposite of a love letter we probably prefer the opposite of a love letter which is a letter to the editor often a gripe a concern Opinion, hot take, give it to us. We want it.
0: Also, check out our website, trentarthur.ca.
1: Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you next week.